the very first episode of Crazy, huh? My name is Tracy, and I'll be your host. I'll tell you all stories that are absolutely crazy, but they are absolutely true. Our first story starts with a man with a famous name. Listen carefully, and have your scorecards ready, because two of these people have the same first name. I have yet to meet a man who goes by this moniker, who does the name proud, and this man is no different. Jesse James Hollywood. He was born January 28th of 1980 to Jack and Lori Hollywood and was raised in West Hills, Los Angeles. In the early 90s, Jesse's life was uprooted when his father moved his family from California to Colorado to run a restaurant. We can only assume that his father failed as he returned to West Hills in 1995. This is where the story really begins. As upon his return, he became friends with a former Little League baseball teammate named Ben Markowitz, son of the affluent Jeff and Susan. The teens became a duo. They referred to themselves as the pros. They were often seen wearing baggy jeans with the pros painted down the little pant leg. By the year 2000, if you were to ask Hollywood his occupation, he'd probably say he was a drug dealer, and a successful one at that. That would be true until August of that year. When the operation come crashing down, baggy pants hanging around your butt showing off your box shorts was a fashion at the time. I never did understand how a guy could run in jeans that hung halfway down their butts. During Jesse's adolescent years, he started powerlifting and using steroids to help build muscle mass. His coach described him as an emotional kid who later got expelled for erupting into a violent fit of rage at one of his teachers near his sophomore year. He transferred to Calabasas High School, where he played on the varsity baseball team until he injured his back and leg, forcing him to give up the sport. With his sports dreams ended, Jesse expanded the pros and recruited his former high school friends, William Skidmore, Brian Afonte, Jesse Rui, Ryan Hoyt, and Graham Presley. They, along with Ben Markowitz, sold narcotics for him, and he established himself as the ruler of a very profitable enterprise. And where does a 20-year-old California rich kid get drugs, you may ask? He got them from none other than his father, John Jack Hollywood. Although many people feared Jesse, Ben Markowitz was not one of them. Despite his own drug habit leaving him deep into his old friend's debt, and Hoyt also owing a significant amount of money to Jesse. People saw Hoyt as the kingpin's errand boy, as he struggled to work off his debt. The months leading up to the murder saw the breakdown of Hollywood and Ben's friendship, despite their long history together, first playing in the same junior baseball league, exercising at the same Malibu gym, and finally the pros. Ben's debt and his refusal to pay it came between the two. The rift quickly widened, and the situation escalated to threatening voicemails, then breaking a window at Jesse's house, followed by Jesse running up a huge bill at the restaurant where Ben's girlfriend worked and telling her to have Ben pay it. 
Nicholas Samuel Markowitz was born on September 19th of 1984. He lived with his parents, Jeff and Susan. He was the younger half-brother of Ben. Nicholas idolized his big brother and would do anything for him. On Sunday, August 6th of 2000, shortly before 1 p.m., Jesse Hollywood and his friends, Jesse Rudy and William Skidmore, decided to see Markowitz about his debt. There was some confusion over the amount. Some sources peg it at $1,200, a relatively small amount for a major drug ring. Authorities, however, believe it had grown to $36,000, far too much to be overlooked despite their past. In their van, on their way to Ben's house, they saw Ben's little brother Nick walking along the side of the road. They jumped out, chased and beat him, and threw him into a van and drove off. A woman named Pauline Mahoney witnessed this as she was driving home from church with her kids. She was able to get the van's license plate number and color and called 911 to report what she saw. The responding officers were unable to track down the van. Hollywood and his gang drove to Santa Barbara, California, where the gang planned to have a house party at Ruggie's house. They took Nick, duct taped and blindfolded, and locked him in one of the bedrooms. During the party, two boys broke into the bedroom where Nick was and were surprised to see a captive boy. A witness was quoted as hearing Jesse say, I'm about to leave. Before Hollywood walked up to him and whispered, Keep your mouth shut. You don't say nothing. Feeling very threatened by Jesse, they stayed out of his business and didn't say anything. That night, Hollywood and William Skidmore left Santa Barbara, and Hollywood left Hoyt in charge of Nick because he spent more time at the house than any other guys. Nick was even untied, and they let him play video games and smoke some weed. Nicholas stayed there for three days. The day following the kidnapping, Monday, August 7th, Jesse Ruge had some friends come over to his house. Three of them included Graham Presley, Kelly Carpenter, who was 16, and Natasha Adams, who was 17. Once there, they had met Nick and learned that he had been kidnapped, and they did see the seriousness of the situation. During the day, Ruge had left Nick alone with Natasha and Kelly. Natasha told Nick that he could leave at any time. She was actually concerned about him, but he told her that he would do anything if it could help his brother. Later that day, Kelly overheard Jesse telling Nick that he wanted to take him home by getting him a bus ride. On Tuesday, August 8th, Nick's family officially filed a missing persons report. Natasha went back over to Jesse Ruggie's house with Graham and Kelly and confronted Jesse about the situation. Jesse assured her that he was going to send Nick home on a bus, which calmed her and everyone else down. Reports indicate that many witnesses, parents and teens alike, saw Nicholas with the others, but did not realize anything was amiss. Also, many people knew Nicholas had been kidnapped, but did not notify the police because Nicholas appeared to be safe and having fun. Meanwhile, Jesse talked to Stephen Hogg, who was a criminal defense attorney and a friend of his family. He told him that his friends had kidnapped someone and that the boy was partying with his captors. Hogg told Jesse that he never heard of anything like that before and that if his friends hurt them or asked for money for him, that they could get life in prison. That's when Jesse decided that Nick had to be killed. Stephen Hogg then called Jesse's father Jack. 
Safely back at Jesse's girlfriend's house, where Jack had tracked his son down, Jesse seemed very confused and scared. Jesse indicated to his dad that some of his friends were holding a kid, but Jesse refused to tell him where. Later that evening, having been alerted that Jesse was in some kind of trouble, Ryan Hoyt met with Jesse Hollywood. When Hollywood told him that Nick had to be killed, Ryan offered to kill Nick in exchange for his drug debt to Jesse being cleared. Jesse agreed and gave Hoyt his Tech 9 gun as the murder weapon. Jesse Rookie, Graham, Nick, and the girls and a group of teens got a ride to the Lemon Tree Inn where they partied at the hotel for a while. There was even a point in the night when Kelly was alone with Nick in the parking lot and she encouraged him to leave, but again he refused. He said he didn't want to complicate things for his brother. So they went back into the hotel where they drank and smoked. Graham and Nick even swam in the pool. At the hotel, others encouraged Nick to leave, but still he didn't. During that evening, Ryan Hoyt went to the hotel armed with a Tech 9 gun and took Presley up to Lizard's Mouth Trail, which was a camping and hiking site. Hoyt instructed Graham to help him dig a hole that was seven feet long and two feet deep. Initially, he did not know why he was digging the hole. At one point, he actually thought that the hole he was digging was for himself. But he did as he was told because he was scared. Then they went back to the hotel to pick up Nick and Jesse Ruggie. Hoyt and Presley were back at the hotel by 11 p.m. Jesse and Ruggie broke up the party, and he told everyone that Nick was going home and everyone generally believed this. So everyone left the hotel except for Graham and Nick. Once everyone left, the boys took Nick up to Lizard's Mouth and took Nick out of the car. Presley tied Nick's hands behind his back and placed duct tape over his mouth. As he was doing this, Jesse told Nick that he wasn't going to hurt him. Ryan then hit the back of Nick's head with a shovel, which caused Nick to fall into his grave. Presley vomited as Ryan shot Nick nine times and buried the gun between Nick's legs, covering Nick with branches and dirt. They ran back to the car, and Ryan told Graham that if he ever told anyone what he'd seen, that he'd kill him. Five days later, Nick's body was found by hikers. On August 16th of 2000, Ryan Hoyt, Jesse Rogie, William Skidmore, and Graham Presley were all arrested. Ryan was charged with first-degree murder. On December 9th, 2001, sentenced to the death penalty and is still currently on death row at San Quentin State Prison. Jesse Ruge was convicted of special circumstances, aggravated kidnapping for ransom, and was sentenced to life in prison with a possibility of parole after seven years. Jesse applied for parole in 2006 but was denied. He again applied for parole in 2013 and on July 2nd of 2013, his parole was granted. William Skidmore was charged with kidnapping and robbery in September of 2002 as part of a plea deal. He was sentenced to nine years in prison and was released on April of 2009. Graham Presley was tried twice. The first time he was acquitted of kidnapping and the jury couldn't agree on the murder charge. It was eight to four in favor of not guilty. During his retrial, He was convicted of second-degree murder, he was incarcerated at a California Youth Authority facility, and released from prison in 2007, just before his 25th birthday. 
After the murder, Jesse James went on the run. Law enforcement agencies and the Markowitz family offered a reward of $30,000 for any information leading to Hollywood's capture. The amount was later raised to $50,000. After a brief stop in Canada, Jesse James Hollywood fled to Brazil. He lived a pretty comfortable life, compared to others, on the Copacabana beach. To make money, Jesse would walk dogs, teach private English lessons, and put up posters advertising nightclubs. Most of the money was from a monthly allowance of $1,200 sent by his father, Jack. Jesse changed his name and even learned Portuguese, Brazil's official language, to help further blend in with the locals. He also claimed to be from Puerto Rico. Jesse was featured on the FBI's Most Wanted list. He was also seen on America's Most Wanted four times and NBC's Dateline. He has the distinction of being the youngest person ever to be on the FBI's most wanted list at the time. While in Brazil, he developed a relationship with Marissa Rios. In November of 2004, she got pregnant. Jesse mistakenly thought her pregnancy would prevent him from being extradited to the United States. He believed Brazilian law included a provision that protected a father of a native Brazilian from extradition. This had been true but the law had been changed after an international controversy involving fugitive Ronnie Biggs. Jesse also failed to remember that he had entered Brazil with a false passport, making him an illegal immigrant. Therefore, he could be extradited back to California if found. Now, in the back of your minds, you're probably wondering, who is this fugitive Ronnie Biggs? And what is this law connecting Jesse James? Ronnie Biggs was an English criminal who helped plan and carry out the Great Train Robbery of 1963 in the UK. Ronnie was on the run for a total of 36 years, and during this time he found himself in a lot of locations. In Brazil, he settled down and fathered at least one child. At the time, there was no extradition between Brazil and the UK. The UK did try to have Biggs extradited, though, through the Brazilian court system. The motion was eventually denied due to lack of an extradition treaty. And Biggs being a father of a native Brazilian, Biggs was given the right to live out the rest of his days in freedom in Brazil. In the end, Biggs decided to go back to the UK willingly and face his punishment. Biggs' health suffered greatly while in captivity, and he was eventually granted an early release on compassionate grounds due to his failing health. Biggs passed away on December 18th of 2013 at the age of 84. In March of 2005, almost five years after the murder, the United States authorities working with Brazilian agents discovered that Hollywood was planning to meet his cousin at a nearby mall. This meeting would finally end Hollywood's flight as he was arrested by Brazilian authorities in July of 2005. Marissa Reyes gave birth to Hollywood's son named John Paul Hollywood Reyes. The same day Jesse was arrested in Brazil, his father was charged for manufacturing the illicit narcotic GHB, although that charge was later thrown out of court. Jack Hollywood remained in custody on a 2002 warrant for marijuana-related charges and later received 18 months in an Arizona prison. While Hollywood had been in Brazil, all of the participants in the murder were arrested and tried. In 2006, the movie Alpha Dog was released. Alpha Dog 
is a movie loosely based on this case. During this time, Jesse James started signing his mail with Alpha Dog and talking about an Alpha Dog world tour. But I guess fame can only last for so long. During the filming, the Santa Barbara County Deputy District Attorney, Ronald J. Zoen, provided copies of many documents on the case and served as an unpaid consultant for the film. Zoen prosecuted Hollywood's co-defendants and was poised to prosecute Hollywood when it was his time for his case to be heard. James Blatt, Hollywood's defense attorney, claimed there was a conflict of interest and the California Court of Appeal for the Second District ruled on October 5th of 2006 that based on Zoan's disclosure of the files and consultation services that he should be recused from further involvement in the prosecution of Hollywood. On December 20th of 2006, the California Supreme Court granted review on the case, effectively staying the order to recuse Zoan. On May 12th of 2008, the California Supreme Court ruled that Zoan need not be recused. Nonetheless, Zoan was replaced with Joshua Lynn, who served as the lead prosecuting attorney. Jesse's legal team tried to argue that the movie could also have a negative impact on his trial. After the court review in June of 2008, Jesse's trial was set to begin on February 19th of 2009, but it was delayed for three months. The trial officially started on Friday, May 15th of 2009. The defense's opening statement laid the groundwork to state that Hollywood was not involved with the murder, trying to leave the blame on his co-defendants. The prosecution's opening statement described Hollywood as a ruthless coward. On Monday, witnesses called to the stand included Jeff Markowitz, the victim's father, Pauline Mahoney, and Benefonte, a one-time friend of Hollywood's, who was picked up after the kidnapping. Afonte told the jury that he knew about Hollywood's Tech 9 gun, which was the alleged murder weapon. But due to fear, Afonte did not ask any questions. Several Santa Barbara residents told the jury about the events leading to Nicholas Markowitz's murder. Michelle Lasher, Hollywood's former girlfriend, testified that she still loved Hollywood and she was hostile to the prosecution. Lasher also admitted to lying to the police because she did not want Hollywood caught. The Hollywood family friend attorney, Steve Hogg, told the jury about the intense conversation at the attorney's, Simi Valley's, backyard when Hogg told Hollywood that kidnapping can carry a life sentence. Presley testified that Rudy told him that Jesse offered him $2,000 to kill Nick, but Rudy said that that was crazy, and Hollywood was crazy. As if anybody needed any more proof. Presley's testimony was important for the prosecution and continued Friday and early into the third week. Next, Ben Markowitz took the stand. After that, Hollywood's getaway driver, Chad Salisbury, testified after the murder, Hollywood seemed remorseful, depressed, and at some points, even suicidal. He also stated that while he and his longtime friend Hollywood dined out at an Outback Steakhouse, Hollywood told him that the situation had been taken care of. Hollywood's defense began on the Monday of the third week. Jesse's testimony lasted for four days. Hollywood took stand on the first day of the defense, denying any role in the murder and saying that he was angry when Hoyt told him about the murder. The prosecution started its cross-examination of Hollywood. 
Lynn started by asking Hollywood about making threats, closing bank accounts, withdrawing money, and selling his home. Hollywood spent much of his time on the stand denying the testimony of the previous witnesses. Closing arguments began on Tuesday and Wednesday of the fourth week, after which the case went to the jury. During closing arguments, the defense said that the associates lied, while the prosecution called Hollywood a child killer, as Markowitz was only 15. The jury had to consider three different charges with possible penalties ranging from eight years in prison to the death penalty. On July 8th of 2009, following three days of deliberation, the jury reached a verdict. The jury found Hollywood guilty of kidnapping the first-degree murder with special circumstances, and that meant Hollywood could face the death penalty. On Monday, July the 13th, the jury began the penalty phase of the trial. The mothers of the defendant and the victim took the stand, as did the brothers of the defendant and the victim. Closing arguments began on the second day of the penalty phase. On July 15th of 2009, Hollywood was sentenced according to the jury's recommendation of life in prison. Hollywood has continued to file motions of appeal for both his trial and sentencing in various courts since his initial conviction. On February 12th of 2012, an appellate court held up a judgment and denied motion for a new trial. Hollywood's defense alleged he was not guilty because Markowitz could have left at any time of his own free will, but chose not to. Jesse's attorney said that all responsibility for Markowitz ended at the time he last saw him in Santa Barbara with Ruggie. On January 19th of 2014, Hollywood got married to Melinda Enos. She started corresponding with him after his sentencing. The ceremony was held in the visitor's room with a small ceremony at Calipatra State Prison. Jesse is currently serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole at the Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego, California. In 2003, the Markowitz family won an $11.2 million civil lawsuit against the kidnappers, the murderers, along with other defendants such as the family friend whose van was used in the kidnapping, and the owners of several homes where Nicholas was being held against his will. This story is crazy on both sides because Nick didn't think he was actually going to die. It's crazy how someone can hold so much power over people. My heart does go out to Nick's family. Nick had so much of his life left, but it was stolen from him. I guess this would kind of be a case of keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. Thank you for lending me your ears. I hope you enjoyed the story as much I love telling it. Make sure you join me on the next episode of Crazy, huh? Perfect.